Okie doke. Revelation 3. Revelation 3, please. Open up the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Bible! Revelation 3. All right. <laughs> Little kid songs matter. Okay. All right. So, um, so we're going to be talking about this. And um, uh, like I mentioned last Wednesday... I believe at this point, you know, we're going to be taking a turn um, because I feel like the study has been very, very, like, in your face. It's been very, very hard to hear. Um, It's a study that a lot of people don't want to keep coming back to because it's so in your face. But frankly, that's what we need. And and so, but at the same time, we do need to balance things out because uh, the Bible is not all negative. Um, according to Second Timothy, we know the Bible is two parts negative, one part positive. So God did not give us a completely negative book. Otherwise, none of us would even be here. Um, we would have no hope. I mean, you can spend a lot of time just thinking about your own sinfulness and how far you actually short of God's glory, and it would drive you insane. Um, and I'm just so thankful that God did not do that with us, that he actually shows, no, 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 there's a reason why I died for you, because I love you and I care about you. And so I love that about our God. So even in this letter that is all rebuke, uh, God shows his love through it. And we're going to turn that corner tonight and we're going to talk about that. And so we've already spent some time talking about, you know, the history of the letters, which you guys can go back and listen to those other messages that are online. Um, But here we're going to be talking about characteristic number five, and that is the fact that we are loved, rebuked and chastened by God. And a lot of people have a hard time with this because they don't correlate God's love with his rebuke and his chastening, when that is really the most purest form of love you can possibly find, when the rebuke and chastening is done properly. And thankfully, from God's perspective, it always is. Because there's a lot of people um, that completely misunderstand this. So we need to make sure that we understand it. All right, so let's hit this. All right, so even though our church period is an utter mess and ends with failure at the rapture, God still loves deeply and and early, it should be not early, earnestly, desires for us to consider our ways and repent and that's why verse 19 is our focus for tonight where he said as many as i love i rebuke and chasten be zealous therefore and repent and so we ought to work hard to exercise ourselves in humility remembering the unconditional love of god and receive his rebuke and chastening whenever it comes our way so as you kind of read through this you can almost see the the turn so let's go ahead and read through this letter up to verse 19. So Revelation 3, verse 14, and let's go ahead and start reading this. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyes that thou mayest see. And here's where it turns. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. 
He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. See, there's a lot of times, and I, and I know I'm this way, and you guys can be this way too, just because it's just human nature. But when someone comes to you, and they're rebuking you, or they're telling you something about you that could offend you, oftentimes what we do is we hear the negative, and we don't even listen to the positive. We walk away because we're hurt with the negative, and we don't even see the positive. And see, what we need to do is we need to learn how to see the positive despite the negative. Otherwise, there's no hope. We'd be beating ourselves up all the time. We'd be so depressed, we wouldn't get anything done. So God is very, very hard through verses 14 through 18. But then you read verse 19 through 22, and it's like, there's hope here. So yeah, you're a mess, and yeah, things are not right, and you're not really producing the fruit that I need you to produce for my honor and glory. But listen, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So there is room. There is room. So even though this is an utter failure of a church, there is room. And I want you to understand that. Because no matter how unfaithful you are to God, there's always room to repent. There's always hope. Always. Always. God will never like rebuke you and then just leave you. People will do that, but God will never do that. So this is critical, and we need to understand God's love uh, biblically. Not the kind of love that other churches are preaching and teaching about. I mean, biblical love from God's perspective. So we're going to spend some time. We're going to talk about that. So the first thing is this is number one. So I want you to pair up with somebody, and uh, you can use these verses. You're going to have maybe, I don't know, five minutes is ideal, but I'll see how you guys are in about five minutes. But I want you to compare two things. So here's your blanks. The world's love is the first one, and God's love is the second. And I gave you a list of verses that you can look up. Um, and some of you will look those things up. You don't necessarily have to. I would encourage you to do that, at least for a few of them, so that way you can start to get a biblical definition of God's love and see what the, what the Bible says about the world's love. But you know the difference between God's love and the world's love. You should. Um, if that's not something you're clear on, then you need to spend some time in the scriptures. But what I want you to do is I want you to pair up and try to pair up with somebody that maybe that you don't know um, and, and maybe someone that you, you may not have the same things in mind with because it's really good in this kind of a thing to work with someone like that that, uh, that you may not think the same in order to get a really good list. So on the left side, I want you to describe the world's love. And on the right side of the column, the second column, I want you to describe what God's love is. And they're definitely going to be in opposition to one another. So I want you to come up with that list. All right. So go spend some time with somebody. Random in the room, someone that you may not know. <laughs> yeah, do not leave this room. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. So you guys had some time to to come together and talk about some of these things. Um, I'm gonna toss the ball around, and I want you to give me uh, a couple. You can do you can do um, the worldly love versus guys love. Give the opposite of it. That'd be all right. You want to start it off? Go. Not the whole list, just pick one. Oh, what? Yeah, just pick one. <laughs> <laughs> um, love is just a feeling um, for the world. So I just do like, the opposite. Yeah, just do the opposite, yep. And uh, God's love is sacrificial. Yes, that's good. And I think that's a very important because the love in this world is very emotionally based. Now, how fast do your emotions change? Yeah, some of you, depending on what kind of food you actually eat, right? <laughs> so cause some of you get hangry. <laughs> I know that my kids get that way, or at least one of them. Megan's borderline hangry sometimes. Um, yeah, so that's totally true. 
where as far as God, God is sacrificial, which means it's a choice. God made a choice to sacrifice. And that's something very important. I want you guys to understand this. There, there have been plenty of examples done, done like this, but take someone that you loathe and that you despise. Hopefully they're not in this room, but if they are, all right, here's what you should do. Think about this. Number one, if you pray for them every day, and not God smite them dead. Not that one. I mean genuinely pray for them every day. And you make a choice to consciously be good-hearted and good-willed toward them every single day. I guarantee you within one to two months, your heart will completely change for them. Completely. Completely. Because love is a choice. It's not emotions. It's not emotions. It won't. There's a story of a lady that I read. It's part of an illustration before we move on because it's hilarious. But this lady, she wanted a divorce so bad from her husband. I mean, like, hated him, hated him. So she went to a guy to get counsel, and I think it was a pastor. Either way, it doesn't matter. It was really good counsel. And so she's like, I want to do something that would just, like, I mean, I don't just want to divorce him. I want to make him pay. And so this guy, <laughs> I know, very vicious. So this guy, he's like, okay, I know this would be perfect. I want you to go home and for the next two months, every single day, I want you to make a choice to love him and to make him believe that you love him and that you care for him. Every day, you just do things to make him and build him up and build him up and then finally just divorce him and just do that. And she's like, oh, that's perfect. At the end, at the end of two months, he calls her, so you ready to get a divorce? She's like, no, actually, I, I love him. I forgot how much I loved him. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, it's true. Love is always a choice. It is always a choice. Yeah. You have to remember love is always a choice. It is never, never an emotion. You know what is, is an emotion? Lust. Lust. Lust is the emotion. It's the carnal desire, but love is always a choice. All right, let's move on. Toss to somebody else. Um, I said love is unconditional. God's love is unconditional. And yes. Yes, absolutely. Have you ever been in a situation where um, somebody does something nice for you and then they expect you to do it in return? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And there are people that manipulate because they'll say, well, I'll do something nice for you. And then they don't even say anything, but then they make you feel bad because they did something nice for you and that you're not doing something in return. Okay, that is not true love. And when you're in a relationship with somebody and that other person is like that, they really are not loving you. They're really not. So just think about that. That's a very good one. All right, toss it. This God. is intense, guys. Good job. <laughs> God chastens us for our good, but the world chastens us for its own pleasure. Exactly. That's so important. And once you guys become parents, you'll understand this, but and more. But as children, I think you'll you'll. I mean, you do understand this as a child being disciplined. But there are times that your parents, no doubt, have disciplined you out of anger, right? Happens to all of us, all right? It happened to me growing up. My parents were not perfect. It happened. But there is a difference in between someone being angry and disciplining and someone actually loving me and being rightfully angry because they really do love me and I did offend them and I didn't get what I deserved. There's a big difference. And so one is that the discipline is for my benefit. The other is that it's discipline for their benefit to make them feel better as if they have control over me in their life. So there's a very, there's a huge difference between those two. All right, good. Yeah. Chuck it hard. Okay. You're gonna need surgery anyway. So just 
Never mind, go ahead. Okay, so anyways, I put that like God's love like has no boundaries, like no limits, but yep. then like our love is selfish and we only give it if it um what's the word? Benefits to us. Yes, absolutely. That's the word. Yep. Yep. And there's a lot of people that do that because I think a lot of people will they will love someone um, only only when they're loved in return. They will only give someone love when they're going to be loved in return, and that is not right either. That's not right. And it's hard. You test it out on, um, once again, someone that you really don't like. Um, love them and don't expect anything in return. It's really tough. Yes, it's very hard. You told me to. I did not. Yes. Oh, yeah. I what she said. Yes. No, I know. Okay, actually, Megan told me to spike it at you, but I, I said I wanted to spike at someone. Just... No, you were not. That is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but bringing it back in real quick. Hold on. Bringing it back in real quick. All right, so Leah brought up a good point that it's very hard to love someone when they when someone is very spiteful towards you to actually love them. And I'm not meaning like the – because I learned this from my sister growing up. Sorry, Chrissy, if you ever listened to this. Um, but – when I remember we were driving in a car, and as we're driving in a car, she would cut somebody off by accident, of course, because she never did anything out of malice like that. I'm sure. But anyway, but something would happen, and she didn't see them, and all of a sudden they're like honking the horn, they're flipping her off. And you know what she would do? She'd go, <laughs> just wave, did the princess wave, and no, see, that doesn't work. That, that doesn't count. That's being sarcastic, and you're just digging it in deeper just because you're trying to spite them. That's not what we're talking about here. Genuine love and care for that person. All right, let's do two more. Yeah. No room for sarcasm. God loves you too. None of that. We can't. I mean, it's true, but you you can't be digging it deeper. All right, we'll do two more. Two more. There you go. All right, um, God's love produces a family while the world is never made for himself. Yes, that's good. That's good. Because in a family, in order for a family to survive, what does there have to be? Love. Yep, love, biblical love, which is? God's love. Yep, which is sacrificial and unconditional. Because, honestly, if, and I've seen this happen plenty of times, there are families where they do not love each other unconditionally and sacrificially, and then the family is divided, and they're no longer a family. They're in family in name, but not in heart. They actually don't even want to be near each other because they don't love properly. So, yeah, it's good. All right, one more, one more. Oh, there it is. <laughs> nice. Did you raise your hand? No. Well, she did to catch it, so. Did you catch her? Right, right. It does. And it ends because there comes a point where, well, you don't benefit me anymore. I'm going to move on to somebody else. Yeah, which God never does that. All right, awesome. Good job. All right. Good job, everybody. Awesome. All right. Okay, so it's very, very clear. But here's the thing. The world's love can mimic God's love. And if you're not careful, and it's a subtle difference at times, if you're not careful, you can fall prey into believing that the love that you might have for a person or for something else is actually biblical when it's really, really not. Um, I know I've been in that kind of a situation. I was in a relationship that I should not have been in 
where we said that we loved each other and we cared about each other. But when the time came for something major to happen that would benefit both of us spiritually, I wanted to do it and she didn't. And so then I knew she really didn't care about me. She really didn't love me. And so that was very hard to swallow. But I'm very, very glad that I hit that point in our relationship and I knew that it was over and I knew I had to break up with her. So that was very important. Okay, all right, so we talked a little bit about that. We could spend plenty of time talking about that. But here's the reality behind it. We're gonna look up these two verses. Go to James 4.4. 4. James 4.4. 4. James, a little bit to your left from Revelation. James 4.4. 4. So we know that the world's love exists. We know that it's temporary, that it is not eternal, that it is conditional, that it is emotional. But here's the reality that you guys have to realize, and hopefully you can rip the blinders off a little bit, is that when it comes to this kind of love, you have to pick one. You're either going to be one way or another. You can't have both. It's not going to work. You can't be a person that chooses to follow after God's love um, and then be someone who loves in a worldly fashion. It's just not going to happen. It's one way or the other. And this is the very common, this is a biblical principle that goes all the way through the scriptures. You can't serve two masters. You can't be double-minded. You can't sit on the fence. That's Laodicea. Laodicea, they sit on the fence. They are the ones who are double-minded. They think that they can be in the world and do worldly things and yet be godly at the same time. It's not possible. It's just not possible. You can try to say that it is, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if there's something in your life where you're dabbling in the world and doing the world's way of things, and then you're dabbling in church, I guarantee you, it is, it is almost impossible to bear fruit. And if you do bear fruit for the Lord, it won't remain. Because it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. You're double-minded. It's unstable in all your ways. That's what James 1 talks about. So look at James 4.4. So I'm gonna read that one. 4.4, four. go ahead. The adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore, therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Okay, we could spend a ton of time on this verse. But first of all, it says, very hard, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now, what is an adulterer? Cheater. Cheetah. Not a cheetah, like a cheetah that runs in Africa. I didn't mean that. I mean, <laughs> it's a cheater. So, like, explain that. Someone who cheats. Yes, like on a test. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like when like you give somebody else the same attention you should be giving to mm-hmm. like the person. Yeah, and I would even say not just like the same attention, but even just a little bit. Like cuz this is what we do sometimes and, and we convince ourselves of this all the time. If Jesus were sitting in your living room or in your room when you're watching whatever you're watching on Netflix, would you be able to watch it with him there? I mean, just going to see whatever movie, and I violated this too, so I'm just as guilty with this kind of stuff, but this is the stuff that makes me think, where I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm playing with fire here. I'm gonna go see this movie, and I bought a ticket, and I went and saw it. Could I sit there with a clear conscience with Jesus sitting right next to me? Would that be something that, would, that, that, that he would enjoy watching with me? I mean... I think there's many areas where we are adulterers and adulteresses. I think there are many things where we say we belong to God, but yet we do things behind God's back that he would never approve of. I think that happens a lot. 
And I think it happens a lot more now than it has even 50 years ago because we have access to more stuff. You have the ability to access things privately than, than ever before, individually, with your cell phones and tablets and different things through the internet. And you guys know it, and a lot of you struggle with it, and we've talked about those sorts of things. But the Bible says, if we're willing to believe what the Bible says, it says, Know ye not that friendship, the friendship of the world, is enmity with God. Enmity. That means division, sharp contrast. It's not possible. It's oil and water. They do not mix. So the friendship of the world, if you find yourself very comfortable with the world, we talk about this with the whole darkness and light thing. If you find yourself very comfortable with the world, that the world is offering its hand of friendship to you, that you are welcomed in worldly areas and there's no problems with you even being there, well then there's a good chance that you're at odds with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I mean, this there's, there's so many examples of this. I mean... And that's why when you think of things like within the United States military, if you are a traitor and you give up military secrets, national secrets to the opposing enemy, what is the penalty? It's death. It's absolute death. And rightfully so, because you're giving info to the enemy. And yet we do this all the time spiritually and we don't have a problem with it. So you really need to think about if you truly belong to God, then you need to examine your ways and say, well, does my life truly mirror that I belong to God? Would God approve, if I were to make a list of all the things that I did within a given day, all the things I listened to, all the things that I watched, all the things that I talked about, would God go down the list and say, oh, that's just such a blessing to my heart. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, oh. Or would he be like, oh, and just be grieved in his heart. So I think we're terrible offenders of this. Terrible. And so we cannot convince ourselves that we're one way when we're in fact the other. It's better just to be honest about it. So you have to pick one. Which one are you? It's got, it's got to be one or the other. You can't be both. You can't be both. And so which one are you? Which one are you? And so then that point's very important. And let's hit Romans 12 because I want you guys to see this one because this is kind of the, um, the uh, antidote, I guess you could call it, for this kind of behavior. Romans 12. Verse 1 talks about how we're supposed to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, 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 acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. God is not asking too much of you to offer your life as a living sacrifice. He offered his life as a sacrifice for you, so it is very acceptable for us to offer ours in return. And this is what he means in verse 2. He expands on this whole thought. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so the whole point, if we kind of work our way backwards, as a Christian, you are supposed to prove to who? Prove to who? And I'm going to answer that question in a minute. But you are supposed to prove to whoever... That good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So your life is supposed to be a living testimony of that which is good, acceptable, perfect will of God. So who are you supposed to be proving that to? The world. Everyone you come in contact with. Think about where you work. Every person you come in contact with at work. Every person you come in contact with at the gas station, if you talk to anybody at the gas station, every person that you talk to at Starbucks or that you pass by at Starbucks, every person that you walk down the halls next to at school, every person that's within your household, I mean, everyone, everyone everywhere, your life is supposed to be something that proves 
the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the only way that's going to happen is if you keep working backwards by the renewing of your mind. Your mind has to be renewed because your mind, the way that it is, is sick. It's sick. It's on its deathbed. And the wages of sin is death. So you need to have a renewal of your mind. You need to get different thoughts in your head. Now, how do you get thoughts in your head? Yeah. Memorizing scripture. But in general, not just like good things. We're just saying in general. How do you get thoughts in your head? What you see, what you hear, your senses, everything around you. Everything around you, your, your household, your environment, everything, they start to produce senses. Um, even like um, the thought of even eating that comes from your flesh. And so, but it's all your different senses. So all these things start to formulate thoughts in your head. So if that's the case, then it matters a great deal what you listen to, what you watch, where you go, what environment you expose yourself to. That's very, very important because it affects your, your thinking. Majorly, majorly. I do not think that we are very careful with the things that we listen to and the things that we watch and the places that we go. I guarantee you that if you are more careful to be more godly in those choices, you would have a drastic change in the way that you think. Drastic. I do not think that we're careful enough with the people that we hang out with. I think the people that we hang out with and the things that they talk about that gives us thoughts. I'm, I'm just saying, these are things that if we're going to renew our mind, then we, this is how we renew our mind. You can't keep doing what you were doing before. And the best way to renew your mind is whatever occupies your brain. Well, occupying your brain with oftentimes is music, movies, video games, uh, people, talking, conversations. Okay, all those things, if you were to take the scriptures, the more time you spend in the Bible, I guarantee you the more that you'll think like God. The more you will, because you'll be thinking about God. Because it's getting your time, it's getting your thoughts, it's getting everything that you are. And some of us, it's really, really hard. And I get it, because there are times where it's hard. I have gone through certain reading plans in my Bible. Like, I went through one super aggressive one. It was like, uh, read the Bible through in three months. That one's insane. The only one that's more insane than that is read the Bible through in a month. That's even crazier. I tried that for a couple days. So I got through day one, halfway through day two, and then I stopped. Because it's very, very difficult. I mean, you're reading like 20-some chapters a day. I mean, it's crazy ridiculous. But I'm telling you, you're spending two, three hours in the Bible, and you're thinking about those things. Because it's taking up your time. It's taking up your mind. So you need to renew your mind. All right, so back it up from there. So we, we are renewed. Our mind is renewed and it is transformed. And then the whole warning is, and be not conformed to this world. And I immediately, I think of like Plato. I think of Plato, I think of Silly Putty. That's like who you are. If you were to take Plato and you have a mold and you take you, your brain, and you put it into the mold and you pull it out, what does it look like? It looks like the mold. It's the same thing. So what mold are you putting yourself into? Is it the mold of God's word where you come out and you start looking like God? Or is it the mold of this and this and this and this and this? And you pull it out and you start looking like the rest of the world. It really is that simple. It really, really is that simple. Don't overcomplicate it. You're just making bad choices. And that's why things are the way they are. Same with me. Okay, so you must pick one. All right, and then let's end on this point, number three. Because this one should hopefully really, really help you with this whole process. Because this goes back to verse 19 about how we are loved, rebuked, and chastened by God. So remember, true love will always be, always be, number one, truthful. It will be truthful. And we're going to talk about each of these just real quick. But it will be truthful. Always be truthful. It will always be unconditional. It will always be just. 
It will always be selfless. And it will always be edifying. True love will always be truthful, unconditional, just, selfless, and edifying. And this is what people have a hard time taking because they don't want someone telling them the truth. And this is the whole point of why I even wanted to talk about this because out of verse 19 of Revelation 3, it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous therefore and repent. God is very truthful because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is very truthful. God is love and yet he is truthful. So it's the same thing. And so when someone comes to you and they are being very truthful about what's going on in your life, you should take the consideration of listening to them. And not everyone that comes to you is going to be right. I've been in that circumstance where people have come to me to rebuke things in my life and they've not been completely right. But I guarantee you this, they have always been partially right. There's always been something that I'm like, you know what, even if it's 1%, still, there's still something in there that, you know, otherwise they wouldn't have come to me. There's something in there that's not right. So true love will always be truthful, but it will always be unconditional. And this is very important because I think there's people that go to others and they are very truthful about certain things, but they're not unconditional in their love. The love always has conditions. See, this is how I am. And if you've ever had a hard conversation with me, you know that this is how I am. And I, this is how I teach. This is how I preach. This is how I teach. I am very truthful in what I say. But if you choose not to do anything that I say, I still care about you. And I don't treat you any different. I'm disappointed. I don't want people to not do the truth and accept the truth and believe the truth. But that doesn't mean that that changes the way I feel about you. Like, I've, I've, I'm never going to be that way. Because God has never been that way with me. God has confronted me with truth in my life. And there are times where I have refused to obey. And God still loves me. And he still cares about me. But that act within itself, like truth and unconditional love, those two things is what draws me to God. And when it draws me to God, when I see how he still loves me and he still accepts me into his family and he's so patient with me, it makes me want to listen to him. And so that's how we should be as Christians. You should be someone that always speaks the truth to people, but you should always be unconditional in your love. You should always be that way. It's very important. And then just, that's important. Because to, to be just means that you're not one way with one person and another way with another person. Being a respecter of persons, that you're just, that you're fair, that you have equity in your decision making and, and how you approach people. So, you know, if you approach this person on this issue, but then you avoid that person when they have the same struggle, that's not being just. So we need to care about each other truthfully, unconditionally, and justly, and selflessly, selflessly. Because there's a lot of times, hey, Andy, there's a lot of times that that we have to because talking to people about the truth is very hard it's very very hard and i want to be selfish and not have conversations with people i just don't i don't like being in those circumstances i would much rather take the selfish route and just to not be in that situation and just pretend like somehow it's going to take care of itself it's not going to happen it's not going to happen and so i have to choose to be selfless thinking about them and caring about them and going to them and raising my concerns. That's very important. That's very important. But and see, here's the flip side. If you've been on the other side of this, because if you're on the other side, you're thinking that person is being very selfish because they're, they're attacking you or they're somehow confronting you on an issue. Are you kidding me? 
like someone that has a right heart attitude, they're doing it selflessly. They're doing it because they care about you, and that's hard for them to do. It's so you got to change your view your view on this. You have to. You've got to. And then lastly, and I want to spend most of our time on this. It's edifying. What does it mean to edify? Give me a good definition of edify. To build up. Not to break down. Not to break down. That's the antonym. Yes. Okay, I want you to I want you to listen to this. I looked this up just because you know I look up different definitions, and um, uh, I want you to see this. All right, or hear this. You're not going to see it. You're going to hear it. All right. So, edify definition. I thought this was really sweet. All right. So let's see here. Okay, I like this. All right. This isn't the same one as what I had before, but this is still good. To instruct and improve, especially in moral and religious knowledge. Now, that's true, but I wanted to focus on this. To instruct and improve. Improve. All right? And I wanted to focus on this. To improve means to make better. So edify definitely means to build up. But what you're building is better than what was there. Okay? Now, I wanted to talk about this and end with this for this reason. I think that there are many people in our life that we love and that we care for, that we believe love us in return, but it's not a godly love. And one of the key indicators of a godly love is that person in my life makes me better. Makes me better. Makes me a better Christian. Makes me a better person. Makes me a better sister, a better brother, a better sibling, a better uh, child, a better follower, a better disciple, a better everything. And there are people in our lives that we are convinced to love us and care about us that we think are making us better, but they're not. Because they're in our life, they're actually making us more unfaithful. Because they're in our, in our life, we are not following the Lord like we would have been. And not just people, but things. Because I think there are things in our life that are not making us better. And if we're really going to overcome this whole Laodicean spirit, these things have got to go. And I can't tell you what they are. I mean, if we were to sit down and have an open conversation about your life, maybe I could identify a few of those things. But that's really between you and the Lord. And you really have to ask yourself, does this make me better? Because God always makes us better. And if you don't have that kind of relationship with God, well, then I don't know what you got with God. Because God in your life always makes you better. He always edifies. Go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. And you guys already read uh, one verse from here when you were looking at the different definitions between the worldly love and the godly love. Um, but I want you to see this in just in a little bit more detail. All right, verse 5. Hebrews 12, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, which means we tend to despise God's chastening. You know, so it says despise not, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. 
If ye endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. So if you are sinning in your life and God is not convicting you internally through the Spirit of God and things are not... Um, I mean, chasing can come in, in many different forms. It could come in the form of, of someone coming to you and confronting you on your sin. It could come especially from conviction on the inside for sure. But if there's no chasing from the Lord in your life and you do not belong to him, when you are chastened by God internally, especially with conviction, but through people loving you in the church as well, and even other things too, it could just be the consequences of your sin, then you are you do belong to him. That's one of the evidences you belong to God. So I love that. All right, but then look at this. It says, furthermore, verse 9, and this is the part that you, that you read, we have had, our, had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, here it is, for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. God in your life is always for your profit. When he disciplines you, when he convicts you, when he brings you to points of decision in your life about what you're going to do, it's always for your profit. And it says in verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So times in my life that have been very difficult where I've been chastened by God, in the moment, it's horrendous. But afterward, it has yielded peaceable fruit of righteousness because I've been exercised by it and I've learned stuff from it. And that's why he says in verse 12, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight the paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Okay, verse 13 is probably one of the key verses that everybody skips over. Because here's what happens. You're being an idiot. You're being a knucklehead. You're being a disobedient child towards God. And God comes into your life through personal conviction, uh, your discipler, people confronting you, people loving you, your family, whatever. God comes in your life and he chastens you because there's something that's lame in your life. What is, what is lame? What are we talking about? Not like, that's lame. What, is, what do you mean by lame? Paralyzed. Paralyzed, that it's not working right. Okay? That's like if you ever had someone come to you and say, oh, you don't look good. Are you sick? Duh, bud. Okay. All right. So spiritually, we do that kind of stuff all the time. I'm totally okay. I just need to go to sleep. All right. Whatever. You need to go see a doctor. No. Okay. All right. Spiritually, we pull the same junk. Okay. All right. So it says lame right there in verse 13. And it says, it makes straight the paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. If you refuse to correct in your life that which is lame, there's going to come a point in time where it is going to be turned out of the way and done. It's over. You're going to lose your opportunity to be restored and it's going to be done and the consequences are going to be even greater in your life. And that's why it says, but let it rather be healed. So stop being an idiot. Stop being a stubborn, prideful, arrogant whatever else you want to throw in there <laughs> and actually listen to God and the people that are, I mean, see this very clearly and you're completely and totally self-deceived about what's going on, but they are obviously loving you and they're carrying you. Consider what they have to say because there's probably something in your life that's lame that needs to be healed and God wants it to be healed. People want it to be healed. We don't want people to be turned out of the way. When people fall into sin at the church, we don't want them to leave. We don't want them to go. This is where they need to be. 
They need more care. They need more attention. They need help. And so we don't want them to go. But if they refuse, that's the only option that's left. It's the only option that's left is that you've got to go because it's just, it's not working. You're not listening to us trying to care for you. And so if you're not going to listen to us, then it's only a matter of time before you're out the door. And that's the last thing that we want in ministry. That's the last thing we want in pastoral ministry. We want people to hear what we have to say, search the scriptures, search their heart to see, is this true? And then choose to let it be healed. And it may take some time, but you've got to let it be healed. And if you don't, then you're going to be out. It's only a matter of time. And that's why God says this in Revelation 3 to the Laodiceans. And he's saying the exact same thing because he says, you're lame. You're lame. You're numb. You're paralyzed. You're not doing jack. I love you, so I'm going to chasten you and I'm going to rebuke you. And so repent. Be zealous and repent. You can overcome. You can do this. But you know what happens? Laodicea, they don't. And then the rapture of the church happens and we're out of here. And that's what marks the end of our church period. That's what marks the end of the dispensation of the church age is that we failed. And so what our challenge is in the midst of that doctrinally is that even though our church age is going to fail, you don't have to. You don't have to. I pray this at winter camp. There's this concept in the military called the rear guard action. Now, the rear guard action is critical. So let's say you're in a battle. You've got two sides, and the one side is just losing terribly, and that would be us. The enemy is just starting to overtake everything. Well, the rear guard action, they stay on the front line, and they've got all the artillery. They've got all the guns. They've got all the ammunition that's left, and they gather it up front, and they just start firing, and they start firing. And their whole goal is to hold the enemy off so everybody else can get out. That's us. That's us. That is the First Baptist Church of Jackson in the midst of places like River Tree and Faith Family. That's us. And we've got to hold the line. We've got to. If we don't hold the line, who else is going to hold the line? Who else is going to hold the line spiritually? Those other churches aren't. They're not going to. The enemy is already blown in and it probably already has control of most of those places. So we've got to do our part. And that's why God is rebuking us. Because I believe that we are the ones, hopefully, are the ones that are going to listen. And instead of being lame and turned out of the way, that we're actually going to listen to him and let it be healed. All right. Okay. All right. So that's the message for tonight. So let's go ahead and pray. And I hope that you are just obedient to whatever God has convicted you of. And I'm sure there's a lot of things that we all need to think about. Lord God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. And I pray, God, we'd hear you and that we would obey. Because there's a lot at stake. So uh, we love you. Thank you for your patience and your care. And thank you for loving us enough to rebuke and chasten us. And I pray, God, that we'd never misinterpret your love. Uh, that we'd understand that you rebuke us because you love us. And help us to see the things in our life that we need to, to let be healed and not let it be turned out of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.